The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox is here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management, donfox.net to find out more, or you can call IG Private Wealth Management at 905 972 7420. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Morning. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good morning, Don. Good to see you. And I see you brought uh, Gary Hogan with you again. Absolutely. We're just keep going through the team week after week. We've had a, we have the odd guest one and we're going to continue to do that. But it's, uh, it's great to have Gary back on the show. And uh, I know you've got a, a lot to talk about on estate planning today, Gary. Yes, I thought that would be uh, an interesting topic to revisit today. I know, I know, Don, that you have uh, you have covered estate planning from a variety of uh, of uh, things over the years, and uh, but I, I know that it's it's something that often gets overlooked. So I wanted just to touch on a few things today, and uh, I thought I would start with uh, a conversation about wills. And I know that uh, uh, as soon as people hear that word, sometimes uh, people just tend to tune out a little bit because it seems like a daunting thing to put together. And of course, uh, I think many of us, you know, have issues with mortality and, and we, we really don't like thinking about uh, planning for the inevitable. But nevertheless, we know as financial advisors how critical that is to, uh, you know, to everyone's financial plan. And uh, so one of the most important documents that we, we ever sign for any reason, of course, um, is our will. And uh, what that does, basically, it enables us to, to ensure that our assets are, are administered in the manner that we wish from, as the old saying goes, from beyond the grave. So we can, we can make decisions up front that, um, that will ensure that the things that matter to us are taken care of. You know, we're, as you know, Don, we're, we're always asking clients or prospective clients if they have a will. Uh, when we're sitting down and reviewing their overall situation. Yeah. Wills wills, and power of attorneys for that matter. Of so. course. And I'm going to touch on that. Yeah, good point. And I'm going to touch on that a little bit later as well, because they go hand in hand and, yes. and they're very different tools as, as we know. And uh, I'm sure most of the listeners are aware. Um, so of course, uh, even if people have a will, part of our role is to examine it, offer our thoughts. And, and if there's any recommendations that we might have, uh, in terms of any potential updating, then we suggest that, uh, you know, that clients take care of that uh, with their lawyer and, uh, and make those adjustments as things change over time. You know, and, and as, I, as I alluded to, many people avoid this, this incredibly important uh, matter, uh, oftentimes just due to avoidance behavior, because uh, again, um, it's just, uh, it, some people find it a difficult thing to do, but a very easy thing to, uh, to defer. I, I and, think, Gary, that's, that's actually time. one of those things with, uh, you know, death in general is a very difficult mm. thing to discuss. Yes. Yeah. And almost to the point we've heard every story of reasons not to have a will, almost like they, they, these people may not die is to the point that they're getting at. It's obviously death and taxes are two things we can't avoid. And uh, it's like, okay, if I get a will done, maybe it's like a, it's premeditated. I might actually <laughs> pass away soon if I get this done. So, no, obviously not the case. You know yeah. what? On that point, it might be more motivating to get a will when you're younger and just starting your family out because you don't really think about death at that point. You're just doing it because it's part of the planning that you have to do. Whereas when you get older in life, 
you're actually physically <laughs> planning for it. So yeah, it, good it, point. Different heads. Yeah, that's a good point, Scott. It's on your mind more certainly as as yeah. the clock ticks away over the years. But you know, the, the thing is, it's it's a difficult thing for many people to get to. But once it's done, and this is really the key the key point, I think, once it's done, there's there's tremendous peace of mind. Yeah, because uh, you know we can say then, okay, I know I've got things taken care of, and unless there's any material changes over time, uh, you know what I want to happen uh, is is documented from a legal perspective. And of course, uh, again, if there isn't a will, then uh, you know we're leaving it potentially to public trustees, provincial public trustees, to make some decisions. And you know that's not what uh, what anyone really wants. And you know, once the the will is created, of course, it needs to be reviewed and and potentially modified every maybe every three to five years, or whenever there's a material change. And there's endless material changes, Don. We've seen them. Uh, we've seen them all over the years. And you know, marriage, common law relationships, uh, having children, separating, divorcing, getting remarried. You know, moving even moving from one province to another because this is provincial legislation. So you know, yeah, it's, even- it's important. Even with the children you do have, sometimes there's a falling out that takes place. Right. And uh, or somebody's doing a lot more care at the end of your life and perhaps they deserve a, a bigger piece. So, there's, yeah, abs- absolutely, Gary. There's lots of changes that should be looked at all the way through life. Yeah. And relations, as you said, relationships change and, and circumstances change and so on. And even even whoever you appoint as executor, if they relocate to another province, that's consideration, at least uh, out of convenience uh, to possibly make some adjustments. Um, even, you know, these are some things, a couple of things that people don't really often think about. If, if the value of your estate dramatically increases or decreases, that's another reason to really look at things to make sure that uh, what you want to to have happen uh, does actually happen, uh, and we've done. We have seen this uh, many many times with clients where um, a, a parent, uh, an aging parent, perhaps may lend money to an adult child, mm-hmm. and um, may or may not mention that to say there's three adult children, maybe not mention it. Um, so even just having a conversation with our clients about a situation like that in terms of, do they want to make an allowance for that in the will, uh, so that that's balanced out that those kinds of things. And you know, that's a great point is the fact of having a financial planner in the first place, this is part of a financial plan is of course the estate planning portion. And sometimes they, I don't think they some do it on purpose, but if you don't let clients know that this should be added to the will that you've lent X amount of dollars to one of the children. And it should be, you know, changing the will that that's part of the assets. So the lease is there, it's written down that um, it doesn't actually have to be changed in the will per se, but it actually uh, notes um, in, in your file saying this has taken place. Right, right. No, absolutely. And, and you know, and, and then again, a lot of people will, will defer creating a will uh, because they're, they're not sure who they would choose as executor. So let's talk about that for a couple of minutes. Um, and executors, you know, there's a there's a few basic characteristics that that really should be applicable. Um, you know, they should be willing to uh, uh, to do the work, and there is a lot of work as executors. So whoever we're choosing as our executors, we really need to make sure that that they're they're up for it. And it's it's far more work than most people realize until they do it. I think you'd agree with that, Don and Scott. Mm-hmm. You've probably had some experience with that as well. Um, you know, and making sure that the executor is free from any conflict of interest, uh, that, um, that nothing, nothing that they may be or may tend to do is, is self-serving. 
And, and obviously, uh, a reasonable level of, of maturity and business acumen is an asset. It's not, it's not necessarily required, but it's definitely an acumen. A business acumen is very beneficial. Um, and, you know, we do a lot of work. Uh, Don and I both do a lot of work with, uh, with our clients, uh, liaising with their lawyers and, and providing uh, a resource to help them through the role of, of executor because it, it, can be, it can be daunting. Um, obviously, you'd, for convenience sake, again, you would want your, your executor to be relatively close, preferably in the same province, and obviously uh, a measure of integrity. What a lot of people do just by nature is they'll appoint someone close to them in their family. And obviously between spouses, that's, that's the more common thing. And uh, beyond that, it's, it's perhaps a, a son or daughter or whatever the case may be. But um, not everyone wants to be or perhaps has the right uh, perspective to act in that role. And, and lastly, um, it's always up to, uh, to the individual when you create a will, if you want to um, stipulate in the will that you want your executor to be paid a fee. And there are, there are limitations on that in each province. And I think it's, uh, I think it's a max of 5% in uh, Ontario. Um, and so what do executors do? And, you know, when we're asked to be an executor for a loved one, Typically, the answer is, oh, sure, I'll, I'll do it. But there's a lot to think about. And of course, ultimately, a, a lot to do. You know, naturally, we're responsible for filing the required income tax return on behalf of the, of the deceased when the time comes. Uh, the final return covers the, the, and this, I know a lot of people are confused with this when they're put in the role, but the final return uh, covers the period from January 1st of the year of passing up to the date of passing. And then there's, a, there's another return that's done from that point on for the estate to address the, uh, the, the growth on assets, for example, uh, over that period of time. So it, it, and that's why, that's why lawyers and accountants and financial advisors often uh, consult together and with the client to help them through the more complicated situations. Obtaining letters of probate is, uh, is another, uh, another role, another responsibility that the executor uh, has to uh, has to address, and um, and basically that document uh, is required to to prove that the executor has the authority to to deal with the estate assets. And before that can be applied for, the executor has to uh, gather all of the the financial information in terms of assets and liabilities, and have that have that prepared. And then uh, I mentioned about the separate tax return uh, post. Uh, post uh, passing. Um, there's some basic things. Uh, oh, and also too, uh, what's really important at the end of the process, uh, once uh, everything has been put together, it's been probated and so on, is to apply for a status certificate from CRA. Because what that basically does is it, it certifies that, that they won't come calling for any additional taxes because everything has been reviewed and, and concluded at that point in time. Uh, some basic things to, to consider when putting a will together, um, ages of the executor and, and also guardians. It's very important. Uh, sometimes people, a, young, uh, a younger couple may just ask their parents, for example, uh, to, uh, to act as guardians when they put a will together, uh, which, is, you know, which is, of course, a situation that can work very well. But we have to keep in mind that as people age, 
it it may not be something that that really does work as well. The ages of the uh, of, of children when you're putting a will together, obviously uh, making distinctions between the children that are minors and will be minors, especially for some time versus a, a young adult, because obviously there has to be uh, uh, things put in place for for minors. The um, income versus capital beneficiaries. And, and what that really simply means is that there may be a situation where, again, if you have three adult children, there may be, there may be one who hasn't demonstrated uh, the best practices when it comes to money and debt. So uh, a situation like that, for example, you might decide that that particular beneficiary will be an income beneficiary and will be paid uh, a sum of money um, on an ongoing basis. And understanding probate fees. Probate fees, uh, we've, we've talked about this many times before. Uh, I think most of the listeners are aware of this, but probate fees are the lowest tax for any reason that we will pay. And uh, half a percent on the first 50,000 and one and a half percent on everything over that. So um, just making sure that the executor understands how probate fees work. Uh, there are, um, there's a number of other things. I, uh, I know that uh, understanding which, how different assets work, which ones pass through the estate, uh, which ones uh, have direct beneficiaries. I'm going to talk about that a little later, um, but it's, it's really important to, uh, to be aware of, of the ultimate taxation. Um, wills should, you know, there's a lot of other things that people think about now, which uh, I think we'll, we'll address that uh, later in the show. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. DonFox.net to find out more, or you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905-972-7420. We're going to take a quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. All right, Don, I know you want to talk about inflation. Does this have anything to do with the uh, provincial liberals? Uh, announcing that we they're looking at a four-day work week coming up <laughs> you, or, you, is, you know you're just poking the bear with that one scott <laughs> 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 yeah that's uh that's a headline grabber that one um you know why not three days uh, or you know what why not even stop working i found i found that what was fascinating after digging deeper into it all was that you still have to work the equivalent of five days you're just condensing it down into four days which i think a lot of people have been doing that during a global pandemic anyway. Uh, yeah. uh, I, I'm not sure there's much of a future there as far as can government determine policy on that sort of thing? Can they help us with that? I, yeah, that's a good question, Scott. And uh, it's above my pay grade, but uh, anyway, <laughs> no, this is um, one of those fascinating things. Uh, more of a headline grabber, I think on the, uh, on the liberal party and, and, in the, and, on the provincial side. And when you compare inflation and a four day week, which gets the most intent, most attention here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely the four day work grabbed a lot of headlines. Um, inflation is is boring. It just kind of yeah. erodes capital. And you know what? We it, it has hit the headlines lately, um, albeit not as much as this four day work week, Scott. And there is some 
talk right now is it like four percent four and a half percent i had a one client um in the last week or so and they're just talking about okay i don't know about this four percent things are going up by dollars when i buy oranges or or groceries or gas you can see the price and you know we discussed this on an earlier show the difference from a year ago um you know oil prices are now around 80 dollars a barrel and you're in that's reflecting at the pumps at a buck i saw this week a buck 43 at the pumps yeah and and so it was 70 or 80 cents it was certainly under a dollar not long ago yeah um, I, I don't know if this is unprecedented highs but it's up there it's getting close if it isn't in canada well it certainly exceeded the uh, the increase in uh, in salaries and i read an article uh, from the states the other day and it's uh, it's about a percent and a half higher than the uh, the increase in uh, in salaries across the board so that's uh that's always frightening. Yes, absolutely. And 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 one thing is salaries, but what about the people retired? And this is where having a proper plan is so important. And I'm going to go through this scenario in a second, but it's kind of interesting. Since 1934, the inflation rate has been 3.5%. So it's 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 actually been pretty close to where it is now for all these years. And actually, since 2010, the inflation rate has been 1.7%. So this low inflation area has just been more recent in this last 80 years. Now, interesting enough, treasury bills, we're paying over this since 1934. And this would be, you know, very safe short-term instruments, 4.3%. So if inflation is 3.5, T-bills are paying 4.3, at least you're beating inflation. Of course, that's not without tax implications on that. That's before tax. But if you had it in U.S. stocks or Canadian stocks or portfolio of equities right across the world, you were hitting around double digits, about 10%. So when inflation is running three and a half and your portfolio is running 10, that's about a six and six percent above inflation, six and a half, which is always that's a 200 year average. That is very common. Um, and T-bills have always been one not to outperform inflation. Well, that's certainly the case now because T-bills in the last, since 2010, have averaged about 1%, where inflation has been 1.7. So if you were safe with your money, and when I say safe, I mean it doesn't go up and down in value, but you're actually eroding your principal because it's not making enough, it's, it's making less money than the inflation rate. So this is key. So there actually is called something, and I, I find this interesting here. It's, it's called the Big Mac Index. And they look at the price of a Big Mac all the way since 1986, because Big Macs from McDonald's, obviously, are built the same no matter if you're in Russia, Switzerland, UK, Canada, New Zealand, it doesn't matter. The same Big Mac, the same process. Um, there might be a different secret sauce depending on the taste buds. That might be it. But yeah, it, it certainly is about the same. And the costs are dramatically different because, you know, it, you can almost say, okay, if I'm going to travel to this country, what's the cost to travel there? And if you look at the price of the Big Mac, you'll say, okay, what's about the same as Canada's Big Mac? Oh, wow. It's a lot cheaper in this country. I guess my dollar goes further in that country. Case in point, Switzerland right now, their Big Mac is costing about $7.04. Wow. Um, U.S. is $5.65. Canada is actually $5.31. So we're actually pretty close between U.S. and Canada. This is all in U.S. dollars, by the way. But if you went to Lebanon, it's $1.68 to buy a Big Mac. So if you want a cheap vacation, you can go to <laughs> Lebanon right now. 
Okay. And uh, I'm sure your dollars <laughs> will stretch. That is also the same for Russia at $2.27 for Big Mac and South Africa, $2.28. And I know South Africa for sure. I did happen to travel there uh, about five years ago. And yeah, it was, it was amazing if you went to a restaurant, how much, say, $100 went mm-hmm. for a table for four, steak, dinner, et cetera. So yes, uh, inexpensive to travel there. So this is kind of like the Big Mac index. So what I thought about this index, why not look at what's the prices of a Big Mac over the years? Because this is actually, if it's good enough for an index, depending on which country you visit, what about the price of a Big Mac? In 1967, when McDonald's started, the Big Mac was 40, 45 cents. Wow. Okay. Mm. <laughs> um, in 1970, it went to 65 cents. In the 80s, when they came to Canada, I believe, might have been late 70s, it was about a buck 60 for a Big Mac. In the 1990s, it was 2.45 for a Big Mac. 2000s, 2.39. So it actually went down slightly over a decade there. So there wasn't much there. But then by 2010, it went to $4.19 for a Big Mac. And currently, $5.60 for a Big Mac. This so what has happened in the last 10 years, 20 it, years? It, yeah, it's gone up a fair bit. It's basically doubled from 239 to, to, to 560. So a little yeah. more than double. I um, mean, that's not a double Big Mac, by the way. That's just double the price. That's like the eight cent stamp, right? Same yeah. idea. Same yeah. idea. So the inflation rate for all those years was 4.8% on the Big Mac. And the annual inflation rate in Canada during that same time was 3.7. So it actually, the, inf- the Big Mac inflation rate was slightly higher, but 1% higher than what we have, the comp- consumer price index. And this is where a lot of listeners have always said, well, I don't care what the government says, what our inflation rate is. My inflation rate's a lot higher than that. Mm-hmm. And this is the case with the Big Mac. Um, certainly, we're finding that for um, people that are using you know, gasoline at this time or hitting the grocery store a lot, those are part of the CPI, but your basket of goods may be very different than the consumer price index that Canada is touting. Now, they're currently saying this is a temporary inflation rate, and we're running around 4% right now. And that's a lot. You know, that's, there, that's a, a lot of jump. people, a, a lot of experts have been saying that this is a temporary rate. And I heard something interesting this week that said, but the longer it stays temporary, the more it becomes permanent. So at what point do we say it's not temporary? And, you know, we've had 20 years of, of, of low interest rates and such, and, and now it's going to get traction because we always wondered what was going to change things. And if it's not a global pandemic, what the heck is it? Yeah, absolutely. The great point, Scott. And you're absolutely right. The longer when people stop believing it's temporary, I think that's when it becomes permanent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I think it is a, a bigger a bigger issue than what we've been told. Yeah. Um, we're seeing supply chain hindrance between all sorts of countries, um, but particularly China, and and that's driving up the prices. Mm-hmm. People are willing to pay more because they want. So when there's less supply and the demand's higher, which is going on right now, that increases prices. And we're absolutely seeing that right now. And that supply chain issue is not changing tomorrow. So I, I do expect to see this inflation rate to continue for a little bit longer. But the point I'm, I want to bring to this is how long is your money going to last? Because if you're not working, 
you know, you know, Gary was just saying, oh, well, the, your raises aren't keeping up with inflation. Well, that's fine. But if you're retired, what about your money? Yeah. You're no longer working. Is your money going to last? Because the prices keep going up. And so just the erosion of the capital. So I, I took a, a scenario here and let's say it's a million dollars you had in investments and it was earning. And you said, you know what? I need 4% from that. I need 40,000 a year out of those investments every year to live my lifestyle. Well, the way I look at it, most people have a retirement on average of about 30 years. Okay, they retired 60, 65-ish, and they live to one of the two often live to age 90. So you have to plan for about a 30 retirement, maybe not for the whole couple, but certainly one of the two is a high percentage will make it into their 90s. And we all we have to do is look at the obituaries to see how many people are living into the 90s now. It's, it's happening quite frequently. And in, in fact, if somebody dies in, before they're 80, it's like, wow, he, he, you know, that was, that was sudden. Mm. And so certainly in the 80s now and certainly in the 90s is, is, is commonplace. I don't even know if they send you um, something from the Queen or, or the Prime Minister if you make 100 anymore as a centurion because there's <laughs> so many of them making 100. So longevity is a risk. And this with longevity is also the inflation risk because the longer you live, the more that inflation keeps creeping up. So if you needed 40,000 now at 65, say, you're going to need 83,000 a year at, in 30 years from now, just from inflation. It's the same, you haven't changed your lifestyle one bit. You're, you're still living at the exact same lifestyle, yet you need twice more than twice the money. So a lot of people think, and this is where I, I have a strong opinion about, that putting your money in very safe investments is where you should have your retirement money. Well, if you were only earning 2% in a guaranteed investment, and you didn't even have to pay income tax on it, let's say it's in an RSP or a TFSA, you're, you're going to encroach capital right off the get-go because you're taking out 4%. So you're taking out 4% and it's earning 2 or you're taking out 40,000 a year and it's earning two. Well, right off the get-go, after five years, you're down to 895,000. After 10 years, you're down to about 750. And you actually run out of money in, uh, you know, by, by the 25th year. And that's because of inflation and the fact you're taking out more money than, you, than it's making. So a combination of those two. So when I look at that, is that really safe? You're thinking you're being safe by having in guaranteed investments or bonds or things that pay interest, yet you're really, by eight, 25 years later, at 3% inflation, you're down to about $70,000. Or the other option is you decrease your lifestyle. And that's no fun. And that's yeah. not why you retired. You know what makes that even worse, Don? That's, that's so interesting. But what makes it really worse is that there are retired people, and we see this uh, on a fairly regular basis whose own personal inflation rate is higher than the stated inflation rate because of the way they choose to live. Yes, absolutely. And, and you're even looking at, particularly as you get older, some of the senior homes that people are moving to, their inflation rate is also higher. Yeah. And at a time where they often can't afford this and the, their higher inflation rate. So the other option is to take a little bit of risk on your investments and move it into something that is you know, more of a balanced fund that says earning 5%. Well, if you start off taking 4% out, so here's your million dollars, 
and it's making 5%. So that'd be $50,000 of growth. Well, you end up taking 40 out. You actually ended up ahead of the game in one year. In fact, after five years, you, you'd end up with about a million and 55,000. You actually don't even touch your principal until after the 20th year. If you have a 5% rate of return and, and you're taking out 40,000 a year on a million dollars. And that's including a 3% inflation rate. Then finally it catches up to you. You're down to about 950,000 after 25 years. But after 30 years, you've got 743,000. And this is having a, a, a what we call a balanced portfolio of, of some fixed income, some equities, and, uh, and geographically diversified, and also diversified amongst the fixed income between different types of fixed income. So rather than the one that's being very safe, they're, they're, they've run out of money on the 26th year because they've eroded their, their money so quickly. The other option is to, is to have a little bit of risk and have $750,000 after 30 years. So the way I look at it is to treat your RSPs or your long-term plan just like a pension plan manager would. So if you look at the teacher's superannuation, the OMERS, our own Canada pension plan, they do not have it in guaranteed investment certificates. They are managing it as a balanced portfolio. And if we do that, you're gonna be far better off and you won't run out of money, um, at least based on that lifestyle. And the best part is you get to keep your lifestyle. Hmm. It's a lot also the anxiety. I know there's some anxiety in watching the markets go up and down and, and reading headlines and that safety net of saying, oh, at least my money's guaranteed. Well, it's almost guaranteed to run out. If you're too you bring safe. up a valid point too, uh, Don, about the uh, pensions of teachers and whatever. Uh, those pensions aren't they're they're not putting their money in safe havens either. Not at all. Uh, just you know, and 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 many boast about that sort of thing. So yeah, I mean, uh, it's a good point to use the same sort of mentality that a, a a one of these big pension advisors would do. Yeah, thanks, Scott. And and the kind of, and I know I'm using a million dollars. It sounds like a lot of money, but the a lot of the teachers' pension funds, or or city workers' funds, or or nurses' funds, or any of these public pension funds are worth about a million dollars. And that's where they're getting an, an income from every year. So yes, a uh, million dollars is is uh, as we know, inflation alone. <laughs> 20, 30 years ago, million, millionaire was a big deal, but now a million, as we all know, with our home prices, a million isn't as much as it used to be. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. DonFox.net to find out more, or you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. We're taking a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. DonFox.net to find out more. Or you can call them an IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Gary, you wanted to uh, continue and elaborate on wills. And this is something that as we get older, we tend to procrastinate with. Absolutely. And, and thanks for that, Scott. Uh, yes, I just want to continue with some considerations uh, when uh, putting a will together or, or even just thinking about putting a will together. 
there are a lot of things in today's world that uh, perhaps appear in wills that that did not many years uh, in the past, just because of a change in circumstances. And one of the things that that most people put in their wills um, currently is, uh, especially when they have when they have adult children or children in general, is uh, is put a, a marital property clause in so that whatever they may will to say their, their son or daughter um, that it is not to become part of marital property. So that's a, and that's just based on the statistics that we see uh, currently as, as far as, as marriages, uh, you know, not working out over, over time. And people want to make sure that that particular assets stay in the family. Now, one thing, just a, a side note to that issue is it's, it's very important to understand that uh, once, uh, once money is commingled, so an example of that would be, uh, uh, say, a daughter receiving a lump sum am- amount of money from, from a parent when they passed away and taking that money and putting it down on a mortgage on the property that's jointly held, that, that becomes commingled. But um, certainly that's a, that's a pretty common thing these days to, to have. Guardianship issues. A, a lot of people um, want to name guardians for minor children, but um, don't put a lot of thought into what they're looking for. They'll choose a relative or a friend and kind of just leave the, the, the thought process at that. But there's a lot of things in today's world to consider education, religion, cultural things, uh, a lot of, a lot of factors that you, you may want to ensure that as best you can, that your children, uh, will be able to enjoy and participate in should something happen to you. Um, then there's the issue of um, of having a beneficiary, and I'll use the example of an adult child passing away prior to the parent. So there's a couple options there. One is called per sterpes, one is called per capita, and all that really means is uh, per sterpes just simply means that if there's three children, for example, then that one third would flow through to the beneficiaries of that of that uh, deceased child. Per capita means that it's just split 50-50 amongst the, the surviving children. So some things like that to think about. Um, memorandums being attached to a will are also becoming more and more common. It can be even a handwritten memorandum that, that the lawyer attaches to, to a will. And that's really just for uh, unique or sentimental items that personal property that you want to make sure um, go to the individuals that, that um, you choose. And, and that's sort of a, an alternative to just saying, okay, put your, put your sticky on the things that you want kids. And uh, you know, that's, that's what we'll end up doing. Cause that can cause some, some issues as well. Uh, making sure that there's contingent beneficiaries and executors, just because we, we don't know uh, as the years go by, whether the people that we name uh, will actually be able to uh, uh, be involved. Um, and then there's blended families. Uh, I read an article that said within 25 months of a, of a wife's passing, 61% of widowers have a new relationship compared to 19% of widows. And when there's adult children involved, you know, there's, there's issues that need to be worked out to make sure that the, the, the wishes of that, that parent um, are fulfilled. Um, POAs, uh, I won't spend a lot of time on powers of attorney. Don uh, mentioned at the, the top of the show that that's equally as important as, as wills, and it certainly is. Um, 
it's it's something that can be prepared very quickly. It's not it's relatively inexpensive, and it can avoid a lot of uh, problems down the road should an accident or illness impact an individual. In, in, a, in a nutshell, Gary, um, at the end of the day, a will is for somebody that's passed away, and a power of attorney for somebody still alive. Absolutely, and, two and completely different key. things. Yeah, yeah, that's the key difference. And of course, then you can subset the power of attorney between um, property and, and health. Yeah, personal yeah. care. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and they don't have to be the same person. Uh, and really, it, it makes a lot of sense to appoint someone for, for property, someone who has a bit of a business acumen, a bit of an affinity for working through that side of things, whereas the, the personal care power of attorney um, ideally would be someone who, who has that ability, has that empathy uh, and, and understanding and, and can, can help you through situations that, uh, that you may go through. Um, you can also uh, act on a, or have your power of attorney act in your behalf just by giving them the authorization while you're still, you have full capacity for, mm-hmm. for certain things. So it's, it's not just a situation where if you become incapacitated. Um, in, in fact, Gary, I had one client that went to Florida every time they traveled. Yeah. Um, that was a springing power of attorney that as long as they were not there, they were able to use their power of attorney because they're no longer in, in, in Canada. Yeah, and it's it's certainly a great idea. And the other thing is too, you can have joint powers of attorney. You can set it up as joint or jointly or severally, which means that either person, jointly or severally, means either person can can uh, act. Uh, whereas jointly means that there has to be agreement. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. DonFox.net to find out more. And you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. We're going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. DonFox.net to find out more. And you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Well, this is a little interesting, Don. Uh, The highest paid dead celebrities just in time for Halloween. Yes, absolutely. This list comes out every year. Uh, Forbes creates this list. And I can tell you right now, these people do not need an estate plan. They are Mm -hmm. still making a lot of money while uh, while they're dead, for that matter. And in fact, their beneficiaries are reaping the rewards. And number 13, funny enough, they use that number, and it goes from there, was Marilyn Monroe at $8 million. And -hmm. she died back in 1962. This is before our time, Scott. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, um, and she still got uses of brands on on all sorts of things, Zales and even Lego, for that matter. Yeah. Uh, number twelve, and this one, I think you're going to find a little pattern here. Um, if you had to guess, one, what would you say? Maybe Fab Four there, Scott, or Fab Three in this case? There's because one's still alive. Uh, obviously, John Lennon. Uh, not quite. He's down the list a little further, but George. Oh, Harrison. George Harrison, of course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He uh, he earned eight point five million. Is estate mm-hmm. did, and a lot of it was from Cirque du Soleil in Vegas, even though there's a shutdown. Wow! Because they have that Cirque du Soleil love, um, mm-hmm. and he and he's uh, making a lot of money on that. Number eleven, and the yeah, absolutely, I, this one didn't shock me. It's kind of bumped up from way down the list up to the near the front. Freddie Mercury. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, that show, Bohemian Rhapsody, had over a billion dollars in the box office and also sparked out a lot more of his music started being sold and as well as merchandise. And he died back uh, in 91 uh, and at age 45. Prince is now on the list. Yeah, yeah. And uh, speaking of in- a person and died without a will, apparently. Yes, yes. Yeah, there was a guy yeah. actually didn't need an estate plan. I take that back what I said yeah, earlier. Yeah. Yes, back, uh, he died at 57 and he, he made $10 million last year all on music. Mm. Pretty much. And following that, to take your lead, Scott, uh, John Lennon. Yeah. Um, He had his 40th year um, back in just uh, 2020. So it's now 41 years he passed away on December Mm -hmm. 8th. And he is still making a lot of money in his music, of course. But also every time his songs are being played on TV or in movies. Yeah. Yeah. Which there is, which happens frequently. And then we get into... This is uh, an interesting, especially since it is now legal in Canada. The singer that made marijuana popular, Bob Marley. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is amazing considering uh, he really never had commercial music success when right. he was alive, but right. became a legend sort of in depth. And yeah, that's a very strong, um, that was a very strong uh, contract when it, and I believe his wife still gets quite a bit of his money too. Like she was very smart in her business dealings. I believe you're right. And in fact, uh, he made $14 million and he's, he passed away May 11th, 81. Yeah. Okay, so that's exactly 40 years ago. Making money in music, speakers, turntables, headphones, T-shirts, and even lighters right now. He's, not, he's got a brand on his own. Now, well, even, one, even, this, even the country of Jamaica uses his music in their promotional activities. So it's, You're absolutely right. Yeah, and, yeah. and he gets a piece of all that his estate does. Yeah. And so Juice World, from the other end of the spectrum, is uh, from a rapper. Um, passed away in, uh, uh, in 1919, 21 years old. And he's getting his music stream spiked. So he made 15 million. Not familiar with Juice World, but anyway, maybe some of the younger listeners might know them. But here's a sad one. I thought you were talking about something in the food court, but never mind. No, no, (laughs) you're in the same wavelength as me. I had no idea who this person was either, Scott. But this one was a very sad one. Hit the headlines because of the helicopter crash. Kobe Bryant. Mm. He he ended up with earnings of $20 million. Um, Nike sold out of all his merchandise right away after this and he actually sold 300,000 of his autobiography and he died at 41 uh, just in 2020. Um, Elvis has been on this list forever yeah. and he's still there. Uh, 23 million, even though Graceland's, uh, you know, again with COVID still didn't have the attendance, but uh, yeah, he died in 77. Okay. Mm-hmm. And here's another new one on the list. Arnold Palmer. Hmm. His biggest thing is uh, from his Ar- Arnold Palmer drinks from Arizona. It's oh, a combination wow. of iced tea and lemonade. Right. And, and he's also selling a lot of merchandise. $25 million he made last year. Um, and here's a, the last three. Uh, Charles Schultz, $32 million, Of peanuts. course, with uh, Charlie Brown and Peanuts. And coming down, I actually would have thought it would be the other way around, but Dr. Seuss, $33 million. Hmm. Um, doing a lot of television and, and film issues, as well as sold 6 million books in the U.S. still. And the number one. That's a lot of guess, green eggs and ham. That's uh, a lot of green <laughs> eggs and ham, for sure. Who would you guess number one was, Scott? Oh, man, it should be obvious now, but I can't think of who you've missed. The King of Pop. Oh, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, makes yeah, sense. See, 
Yanhia had $48 million of earnings in 2020. Mm. So again, happy Halloween, everyone. But I think if you're not any of these people, we do need an estate plan. You probably need a financial planner. We'll, we'll make sure if you need a second opinion, we'll take a look at that. And that's whether you have a lot of uh, money like Prince or just like the average person. You still need it, obviously. You absolutely need one. You're right. We have been planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. DonFox.net to find out more, or you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Thank you, gentlemen. Another great show. We'll catch you next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.